brush all this off here. Hang on. <laughs> Wait, no, no. There we go. <laughs> Welcome to Ask an Atheist with me, Sam Mulvey, 844-SKEPTIC, 844-753-7842. That's our voicemail. Toll free nationwide. My name is Sam. It's been a few months since we've been on the air. Joining me, as usual, is the person I have been trapped in a room with for over a year now, and uh, uh, is the person that I allegedly uh, is my life partner. How are you, Becky? How are you doing today? Flattered, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it, it, it has been just us for a year now, hasn't it? 13 months at this point. Yeah, see, you're counting too. Don't pretend you're not. <laughs> I have no pretensions <laughs> of not counting. And joining us in the studio, everybody, is somebody you have not heard from in a while. Josh, how you doing, Josh? Oh, man, it's it's good to be back. It is. <laughs> it's been a long time coming. It really is. It's been... Um, 13 months. 13 months. Yeah. <laughs> how many days? <laughs> okay, not counting that closely. <laughs> On the cosmic time scale, just a blip. Yeah, that's true. On a cosmic time scale, uh, it, it has been just a blip. And on that note, um, we have a new guest in the studio, Zygon. Zygon, how are you doing? I see. I heal. I am the source and center of all life. Well, you have fun with that. This is confusing to me. It's good. I, it's confusing to a lot of people teleporting into the studio and saying things like that. I don't know what's going on here. But... We come to you today with a series of firsts, well, first, singular first, is the first time Zygon is joining us in the studio. Welcome, Zygon. But also a series of lasts. Um, This is the last episode of Ask an Atheist that's going to be produced here in the studio at, uh, here in my house, at the original Waveform Orchard studio, is that we, uh... I have in over the break while I've been spending time away from the microphone, and I think it should be pretty clear that I'm spending time away from the microphone. I've been building out KTQA's uh, live radio studio uh, here in in Hilltop uh, in Tacoma, and we are nearly done. Um, The wiring is done. I'm now just debugging things and getting things all leveled in right and getting it ready to do recordings and live broadcasts from there. So the next time we record Ask an Atheist... It will be back, live radio. It will be at a radio station, which is the first time since 2013, I think. We've been here a long time. We've been in this studio a while, and it has served us very well. I'm going to be sad to see it go, but I'm also going to be happy to have the, st- the space back in my house. So, <laughs> Yeah, I was wondering about that. So what are you going to do with the old girl? Hey, who are you calling old? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know yet. Uh, Becky has has really wanted to sort of invert the house and put all my stuff downstairs and turn this into a bedroom, which for my use would be pretty good because it would be a good migraine escape room because that's kind of what I use it for when I have one. I, I, I don't know. That's your deal. What do you want to do with it? I am in favor of the flipping the floors of the house. Well, it is, yeah, because it's your plan. I'm, I'm kind of skeptical of it. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I have always really grown up in um, old houses that have eaved second floors, and this attic studio is no exception. For those that have uh, seen uh, online pictures of the studio or had the pleasure of being here as a guest or just an observer. You can tell that it's in an attic. 
um, and one entire whole sloping part of the ceiling. I don't know if it's a ceiling or a wall, but it's a big slope. It's a big angle. It has right. to be completely covered in soundproofing because no one sane would opt to put a studio in a room with very weird angled ceilings and walls without doing major buffering of any of the echoing surfaces. Well, no one sane would put a studio in a room like this even with major buffering, which tells you something about the kind of person who did build a studio fair in uh in a room like this but it's completely fair to put a bedroom in a in a room that has eaved ceilings because i mean i don't know i grew up in them and even my college dormitory was in the top of a house that had eaved roofs i'm just imagining future back problems trying to get dressed in this room and slamming my head against the roof every 20 minutes so i don't know i'm a little i am a little skeptical yeah i can imagine hitting my head on that wall a lot but i'm not exactly a short person. I don't know what you all are talking about. There's no possibility of that whatsoever, says five foot two <laughs> Becky. <laughs> well, uh, the other thing, the other last, is that this is the last time I am going to be behind the microphone uh, before I go in for brain surgery. <laughs> oh, is that all? That's yeah. not a big deal. Um, I, not the last, not the, the, the New Year's episode, but the episode before that. I, I think I disclosed that... Um, I have a pituitary macroadenoma, um, which is a, a brain tumor, apparently, and uh, I need to get it removed. So um, the tumor, not the brain. Uh, depends on your depends on your point of view, really. Fair, and that's part of the reason why um, there hasn't been a lot of production here on the house lately, is because that you know we've been dealing with that. Uh, we tried to do um, ask an atheist monthly. We just never really hit it because we had too much other stuff going on. Um, I was originally going to have surgery in January, but given the spike in COVID in January and that I, after the surgery, I was going to have to spend three days in ICU when ICUs in Washington state were hideously overworked. Uh, we decided to put that, um, to put that on hold. And, uh, now the vaccine is out. Uh, things are still kind of spiky around here in Washington, but it's not quite what it once was. And I am fully vaccinated. I am happy to say so. Yeah, so next month, surgery happens, you know, snip, 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 well, you know, and then maybe I, I can't make su- suction noises very well, so I, you know, I couldn't do that. <laughs> can't um, imagine them snipping anything at this point. No, like I mean, it, that's they, a different surgery altogether. They do have to cut through the blood-brain barrier, and that is definitely a snip. Uh. Uh, you don't want that to be a chainsaw. That would be bad. Or a slice, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Slice. A little poke and crack of an eggshell kind of thing. Right. Um, yeah, so that's that's what's going on. <laughs> Nothing really exciting nothing around big, here. Nothing big, nothing huge. But elsewhere in the world, almost three quarters of the faculty at Seattle Pacific University, a private Methodist Christian college, have expressed a no-confidence vote in the school's board of trustees over to discriminatory employment policies for LGBTQ staff. Student-held protest vigils after the board voted to uphold SPU's statement of faith, which includes the assertion that marriage is between one man and one woman. The school is facing a lawsuit from former adjunct nursing instructor who alleges that he was denied full-time employment because he is gay. SPU committed to continue to listen and be in dialogue with the SPU community. Well, thanks for that, SPU Board of Trustees. I don't know what any of this means. Could you make this mean something to somebody who isn't, uh, I guess, an educator? Like, what does the vote of no confidence actually do? Uh, it basically says, we do not like your opinion en masse. That's kind of what those vote of no confidences are. Most of the time, they're non-binding to any particular thing, but it's a big way of stating 
in a unified voice, like, we don't agree with this particular thing. And also behind the scenes, you know, the college is associated with the free Methodist, you know, Christian movement. Mm -hmm. And if they were to alter their statement of faith to say, no, we think it's completely cool for a man to be married to a man, then they risk getting kicked out of that particular denomination. Right. So despite the fact that students and faculty overwhelmingly support LGBT folks being able to get married to whomever they, you know, whatever adult they want, board of trustees say, no, it's more important for us to remain affiliated with this particular denomination and uphold something that nobody believes in except for the board of trustees. Couldn't they just get another denomination at this point? I mean, there's plenty to choose from. Just just let them go. I don't know exactly how that works. Um, I mean, I did grow up in a religious community and the Jewish congregations had no problem whatsoever uh, forking off into their own particular denominations. But oftentimes there's a lot of money that comes along with associating or affiliating with denominations. So I imagine that at a time that a lot of schools are struggling because a lot of folks decided, huh, it's not worth paying, you know, 40 grand a year to go to a private college that I'm going to have to do remotely. Well, that's just it. SPU is a private college and has, you know, a fairly high uh, bar- economic barrier to entry, let's say. It costs it, it costs cash money to go to this place. Um, do they really also need the money from from the methodists in order to continue to exist or i don't pretend to know the breakdown of the budgeting of a board of trustees of a private christian college but mm, i don't know i mean at this point a lot of you don't know but you don't know i don't know but i do know that a lot of private colleges have been struggling with uh lower enrollment during the pandemic because so many schools decided to go fully remote and students said why would i pay 40 grand to go fully remote when I'm not having the college experience that I, you know, ordinarily would, why don't I go to my local community college and pay, pay $2,000 a semester to take remote classes? You'd be better off at community college anyway. But, okay, so uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Weren't the Methodists the one that just had the schism? National Methodist Church split in two because of this issue? And I can't speak to which side this church, this, uh, this church, this uh, college is on, but given the conversation that's being had, I think I know. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be like, yeah, you know what? Let's start talking to the other side on this one because uh, they kind of got the good Methodists. I, I think like. that the solution to this is is twofold. I, I think these fights need to keep going. Um, I do think that the um, faculty of SPU needs to keep fighting that fight, and the, the the students need to keep fighting that fight. But the fact of the matter is, this is a religiously backed organization, and they've got this whole ridiculous morality argument that they're they're going to want to have. And now that that education is fully an industry, more on that later. <laughs> Um, we, we need to be consumers and to vote with our dollars. Don't go to these schools. Just do not. The board of trustees power to, to, ha- to say anything meaningful is taken away from them when they preside over nothing. Right. When they start, when the rules really drop because nobody wants to go to a school that doesn't allow gay people to teach, uh, then, I mean, honestly, I hate the fact that it comes down to the almighty dollar, but they have to. 
Well, like I said, the education institution has has transformed from an institution into an industry over my lifetime. And once you are fully an industry, you need to be dealt with in industrial ways. This is a board of trustees that should preside over literally nothing. And the only way to ensure that that happens is to make sure that your money doesn't go to them. Don't send your kids there. Don't go there yourself. Will that hurt the faculty of this school? Yes, and I'd I'd like to hear what Becky has to say about that. I have no doubt it would hurt this faculty. It's not like there's a lot of collegiate jobs out there. But what are what are our other options out here in the world? Like, what else can be done? I think that you are onto a lot of good points there. There aren't a lot of collegiate positions. Um, The the current the the instructor who was denied the full time position has secured employment at Tacoma Community College in the nursing program there, which is a great school. Again, community college, right? Yeah, has to abide by non discriminatory practices in hiring. And I think that yeah, in in a place such as Seattle, you're you're not recruiting from huge places outside of the state of Washington, and you're in a place where the dollar is going to speak as well as the general ethos of the locale that you're in we can say all right faculty who disagree with this you can fight from within for as long as you can stand it or consider your options elsewhere it also goes to show that there are so many people that are employed by religious institutions that don't necessarily even agree with the overarching ideals of the institution for instance catholic hospitals there are so many people so many caretakers and and caregivers employed by catholic hospitals that are not catholic but the fact is that there are way more colleges and universities that are not catholic or methodist than there are hospitals for instance right right there's nothing that's forcing anyone by default to attend a methodist private college in the middle of Seattle. There are things that are forcing people to utilize the services of Catholic hospitals because they may be the only hospitals that are available to them in their entire county. Especially since they buy out every other hospital. And I think it's like something like 25% of hospitals in the United States are Catholic. Yeah, either uh, here at CHI Franciscan and uh, Providence in Washington State. I think a third of the counties in Washington State do not have a non-religious affiliated hospital available to people. But I think the solution to the increasing religiosity of hospitals is distinct from the continuing religiosity of private second post-secondary institutions. I think you're, you're right. It is They are fundamentally different. And in this case, you have one that is really left to its own druthers to kind of peter out, right? It's very niche. Um, and, you know, people can vote with their feet and their dollars of whether to seek employment there or whether to uh, seek education there. Liberty University is suing its disgraced President Jerry Falwell for $10 million for opening the institution to financial harm and for hiding his affair. The affair went against the school's statement of faith, which requires employees to adhere to a so-called biblical standard of morality. The suit claims that Falwell fashioned a deceitful scheme to manipulate the executive committee of Liberty and created a plan to conceal his family's intimate relationship with Giancarlo Granda, a young man the couple had met while vacationing in Florida. In 2019, Falwell uh, negotiated a raise along with favorable terms of severance if he were fired. Falwell Jr. stated that the lawsuit was filled with lies and half-truths and was an attempt to discredit him. Man, he is not falling well. I think he's falling just fine. (laughs) I don't think a 
lawsuits attempt to discredit him. I think he discredited himself just fine himself. Zygon, anything to say about that? I trust the universe. But do you like the joke? I can tap my inner powers of thought. That doesn't tell me anything about the joke! Worst eight ball ever, you are, Zygon. <laughs> I, I love how it's like fashioned a deceitful scheme to manipulate the executive committee. Is that their wording? Yes, that, that is, is that is the lawsuit's wording. Well, th- this is... It also, it said even better. So the guy's name is Granda. The, so Becky Falwell, the wife of right. Jerry Falwell Jr. Don't do that to me. That was really confusing for a minute. <laughs> Sorry to traumatize you briefly. Yeah. She spells her name differently from me. Is it with an I? Yes. (laughs) Anyway, go on. (laughs) So the two of them allegedly engaged in an intimate relationship with this guy who they also like went into a business relationship with. Um, He says, yes, I've, I've had sexual relationships with the two of them for however long. And that apparently was enough to violate biblical standards. Now, I don't know when you... What Bible were they I know. There's there's so many different kinds of relationships that happen in the Bible. Yeah. was fine with that. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. Um, But the the guy's name is Granda, and in addition to the lawsuit saying that he fashioned a deceitful scheme to manipulate people, they also said that he devised the Granda plan. (laughs) Really? Not a venti? That's what they call it. The Granda plan? Yes. What, what did it involve? It involved hiding the fact that Granda was extorting him and putting the university at financial risk because Falwell was being extorted at the same time that Falwell was negotiating a raise and, hey, in case I get fired, can I have a bigger severance package? So it kind of alleges that Falwell knew that this was likely to come out, and so if he was going to get fired, he was going to walk away with a good chunk of cash. Now the... University is suing him back for that cash because they well, said it was negotiated in bad faith. I mean, they agreed to it. I'm sorry. <laughs> they did agree to they it. They did agree to it. So honestly, I'm going to say I'm on Jerry Falwell Jr.'s side on this one. Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, they they agreed to pay him for severance. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they didn't notice that he had his fingers crossed behind his back at all. I kind of dislike that the American legal institution has to pay attention to this whatsoever. Um, outside of the, the money thing. If we could just make this about money, that would be fine. Because the morality question is, is kind of ridiculous to me. Right. Because it's Liberty University. Liberty University, to those of us outside of the Liberty University fold, will always be kind of a joke, kind of ridiculous. If you have a degree from Liberty University... I don't really care what you have to say, even in your area of expertise, because that is a tainted pool of knowledge. Yeah. You require extra vetting that somebody from a more accredited uni- or from a, from a less ideologically bent university would have. Like you require you have a degree from U- Liberty University. And I know several people with degrees from Liberty University. And they understand what I say when I say if you have a degree from there. I'm going to take anything you say with a larger grain of salt than I would anybody else. Yeah, there's somebody at my work that has a Liberty University bumper sticker, and I don't know who it is, but I'm really afraid of them. Yeah. Now, inside of Liberty University's bubble, they are inviolate. They They are literally the shining beacon on the hill. They are literally the incarnation of that. And so... Outside of Liberty University's uh, bubble, their morality is meaningless, and inside their bubble, their morality is unassailable. 
this is the the major conundrum when I have like oh the this person of power within the religious circle is doing things that are bad. Well, it's not going to matter to the true believers, and it's not going to, and it doesn't matter to me because I never believed in their morality in the first place. All this, all this talk about morality does is create a little toy stage that allows Liberty University pretend that their morality has any meaning outside of its tiny little context. I think the place where it has meaning is in that Liberty University trains its. Uh, its students and then its graduates specifically for the purpose of being convincing in debate and public discourse. They are training people within their ideology to then become politicians and plant these seeds of their particular morality. That is, I, I guess, money focused. <laughs> I mean, if you if you're really moral, don't you think you wouldn't care about all the money that's gone? Because Liberty University debate team year after year has gotten better and better. And surprise, out of nowhere, bested teams like Stanford and Harvard. And so when the, the, it was not a surprise when that started happening. Fair, okay. Because <laughs> the people who go to Stanford and Harvard have to train to do other things. They have to be scru- scrupulous. They actually well, have to have standards, right? Where no such thing is required at liberty all right all right fair yeah so says the veteran debater it's like the yankees if you just throw enough money at a single problem you're going to come up with a world-class solution okay yeah confusing stripes uh perhaps but you know um you had to mention the yankees in this episode sam (laughs) they're my go-to for money can solve all problems if if all you see is money kind of argument yeah all right anyway you were saying there was a good argument against money (laughs) Can you? Uh, yeah. Anyway, go on. No, it's just that uh, when they get these accolades of saying, you know, our debate team beat Harvard or beat Stanford, then it reinforces not only their that they are talented, but also the truthiness of their mor- morality, right? Because uh, truthiness in, in the most Colbert sense, right? Something that sounds or feels true to the person speaking it. Um, but is really not worth the page it's written on. Well, they've kind of won the debate concept through a scorched earth mentality. Actual debate, actual, you know, actual comparison of positions an actual understanding of the argument and and the mutual respect upon which debate occurs. They give not a whit for they are the, the, the story is literally I walk away and I won. And you can see that by the enormous effect liberty university has had on the way political discourse happens in this country and on the way it's changed again just within my observable lifetime is it's yes they are an accredited university although i thought to myself that i wouldn't correct myself on that point because then maybe somebody would come and yell at me and that would be fun it's been a while since anybody's come and yell at me i'm getting a little i'm yelling at the tv again that's usually a sign i need to get into a good argument (laughs) but it's they are an accredited university i just don't trust them there's a lot of universities out there i don't trust who have accreditation liberty is one of them spu is another and my question to spu is liberty is your destination This is where if you start down this hole, if you keep pushing this thing, if you keep pushing, if you keep pushing morality and and requiring that that the people in the real world have to live in your make believe Jesus pretty universe, you're going to end up in the same bubble as Liberty University, unassailable within its little subculture, laughable outside of it. 
Is that really where you want to go? Sure, they're they're politically powerful, but look how hard they have. They feel they must defend their political power. They constantly feel themselves on the knife's edge. They're constantly at war footing. It's a siege mentality at Liberty University. Is this really where you want to go? If you're hoping to educate people, if you're hoping to, like, push the envelope of human knowledge or educate people to be better teachers, better nurses, better uh, mathematicians, better computer scientists, better physicists, a siege mentality constantly on the knife's edge of a battle for morality seems like a really crap place to be. Maybe don't do that. Tell it like it is, Sam. Nah. This is Ask an Atheist, 844-SKEPTIC, 844-753-7842. And I go into... I honestly don't know what we're going into. This is just the flow of the show, and I don't know how to do anything else. But when we come back from wherever we're going... Yeah, we're going to have to talk about that guy. expert. Wow, that's so credible. Billy, your great-great-grandmother says she loves you. And to give me your lunch money. Aw, anything for family. Here you go. Wait, Billy. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Come to Camp Quest Northwest, where you'll learn critical thinking and science in a fun-filled, week-long nature camp. No! Camp Quest Northwest can be found at campquestnorthwest.org. Donations and volunteers accepted. The devil is not real. I know. Welcome back. This is Ask an Atheist, 844-SKEPTIC, 844-753-7842. I'm turning myself down, not the music, because that is how out of practice I am. An engaged couple attempted to use a multi-million dollar Fort Lauderdale estate for their wedding celebration in order to fulfill God's message. However, no one associated with the wedding party owned the private property nor had arranged to rent it. The 16,000 square foot mansion's owner resorted to calling 911 to report people harassing him and insisting they were holding a wedding at his home. Police arrived on site and told the couple to leave. No charges were filed against the couple, who appeared to have toured the estate while posing as potential buyers several months ago, and seemed to have assumed the property would be vacant. Broward County records show that a marriage license had been issued to the couple last week, but as of Wednesday, April 21st, no marriage had been registered. I love this one so much because it made me think of my favorite Muppet movie. Muppets Go to Space? Nope. Go on. <laughs> Not Muppets go to Florida either. <laughs> Florida <laughs> Muppet <laughs> arrested for it. No. Uh, so in The Great Muppet Caper, I think it is it's Piggy. Miss Piggy is trying to woo Kermit into liking her as it, most Muppet movies from the 80s usually go. So you have Piggy who has um, tried to climb up the side of a high like high end apartment building and a couple a very stuffy rich couple i think one of them is played by john cleese um are like sitting and eating dinner and uh there's do you hear something outside and piggy's trying to scale the 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 house because she has 
portrayed that she lives in this high-end loft and is wooing Kermit to come over to like her apartment that's this rich people's apartment but it's not actually her she's squatting and this really stuffy couple do you hear something and then it goes to the window and there's there's a pig climbing up the side of the house a pig climbing up the side of the house and when I was like four years old I thought a Muppet pig climbing up the side of the house was the funniest line in cinematic history ever so here not to compare these individuals to pigs although pigs are very smart and sweet but these individuals decided to squat in some rich person's house to hold their wedding ceremony they set out invitations that had like an entire saturday ceremony and reception like cocktail till midnight thing and they invited people to sunday brunch afterwards they like did this whole planning and then they said well it's all god's message and that's why we have to use your house to do like what and it just happened to be a uh what multi-million dollar mansion yes yeah it, it's up for in, sale in fort lauderdale yes not like a holiday inn in hoboken but <laughs> no. not, not like a soup kitchen not like um you know not like someplace in the in the holy lands some guy's really expensive joint in fort lauderdale is what it is. Oh, you're making the connection that this is not so godly? No, I'm making the connection that I want to have this God. <laughs> God <laughs> gave me a message. God has has told me that you have to give me that 74 Lotus Europa. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I mean, that's... Yeah, that God, God sent me a message, give me that sports car. That's the grift. I mean, isn't that what religious um, priests have been doing forever? Is like they sit there and they expect you to feed... Like, back in the day, they expect you to feed them. But like, now... They would come to your house and actually... <laughs> God told you to f- told me that you must feed me. I, I, mean, I, I just run into your house, deck you in the face, grab your milk, run away, and say, God said it was all right. Like, I, that's where we are. I, gotta, <laughs> I respect the grift. I, yeah. I, I think this is a good grift. Like, <laughs> honestly, I don't think they were planning it that far ahead. They thought they literally thought the property was going to be vacant, thought they were going to be able to get away with it. And then, like, quick thinking, it was like, yeah, God told us. God said it was all right to eat the, all the chocolate out of the trail mix. <laughs> well, that's low standards. <laughs> well, that, that's where we are. How much money was it going to, like, Like, what was it going to run them to rent this place if it's for sale? Hey, could I, uh... It's listed for $5 million. Could I use this for a wedding and then, like, drop an ad in the in the thing for you? Like, like God said it was all right to use all the toilet paper and don't tell anybody. <laughs> Like that that's that's where the, that's where we are. God that is, is not the very state discriminating in yeah. his tastes at this point. Toilet paper, trail mix, or, you know, sixteen thousand square foot mansion with a bowling alley included. It's got a bowling alley? A bowling alley, a tennis court, an entire like uh foyer for cocktails, things. It's sixteen thousand square feet, that's like bigger than the high school I work at. The tastes of rich people continue to confuse me. What you want one on your own bowling alley? Well, I would want my own bowl, Hanley. Oh. I'd never bowl on it, though. Interestingly, this, um, apropos of very little, uh, this particular rich person inherited it from, I think, his father, and this guy is the heir to the IHOP, uh, I guess, re- reign, regime, franchise. What's the is thing it- that owns all the franchises? Wait, isn't it uh, International House of uh, Burgers now? No, they went back. <laughs> that was some time ago. <laughs> Stay current! Uh. And I don't think it's International House of Prayer. I think it's the actual, like, pancake eatery. Well, if yeah, if it was the International House of Prayer, it'd be like, eh, all right. Then yeah. it might have worked. God said so, all right, I suppose. What does Zygon say about it? Um, I didn't know. I didn't ask him before the show. Oh, okay. Uh, you ever see a, a Lotus Europa? I have not. 
It is the most beautiful, hideous car that there has ever been. I've seen Lotuses before, but they're Europa? Europa. It's smaller than a Miata. It's tiny, and it's all engine, and it's it's rear engine, so it looks like it looks a little bit like a panel van, but it's a sports car. It is the weirdest looking thing. Wow. Who designed that garbage? <laughs> I love it. It is it is oh, it Oh, you're looking at it right now. Is it good looking? No. Do I like it? Yes. Yes. Yes, I do. Does it go fast? Uh reasonably fast. I mean it's not like you know, it's not like a McLaren or anything, but it'll go. It's really it's smaller than a Miata and it's all engine. I mean, you get into a fender bender and that thing and you're eating the transmission, so uh yeah. There's that. <clears throat> All right. You ready for this? Uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Go ahead. This week, the American Humanist Association rescinded the Humanist of the Year Award it had bestowed on Richard Dawkins in 1996. The move came after the British biology professor's recent tweets questioning the validity of transgendered people's identity and suggesting that a black identity can be assumed when convenient. The board stated that Dawkins had re- had a recent history of statements that used the guise of scientific discourse to demean and marginalize groups, which was antithetical to humanist values. As a response, atheist philanthropist Todd Stiefel posted an open letter to the organization on Facebook that he would no longer be donating to them and equated the award re- revocation with figuratively burning a heretic for their descent from dogma. There is so much to unpack here. <laughs> And all the support I feel like I've gotten from the room has just died. Like, you were looking at me before. Like, everybody was looking at me when I was like, now you're all looking. Now our shoulders are (laughs) shrunken down. And because that's how I felt when I read it. And then when I read other folks, you know, outrage at the American Humanist Association saying, hey, maybe that doesn't represent our values as humanists. Right. And it was, it's just, it's disappointing. It's saying... You can't be an atheist if you are really trying to, like, investigate yourself and what your own biases may be and maybe listen to people who have been marginalized. And when someone who is marginalized says, hey, ouch, that hurts, maybe listen to the fact that ouch, that hurts them and not treat it as in as fodder for merely a debate where Dawkins plops a tweet and then closes it with discuss. So there's a lot to unpack here, and I'm going to start real personal. Over the years, a lot of atheists that I have talked to um, have discussed stuff like this with me with some reticence. Uh, And I, I, I think I know why that is, because the way I present myself and the way that I talk... Um, one presumes that I, I find problems with everything that I'm going that, you know, if you bring up a certain subject with me, I'm going to crap on it for a while talking about all the problems that I see. And you know what? They're right. I'm a troubleshooter by trade. Um, my job is to see problems where problem where no one else seems problems. I am trained that like a bloodhound is trained to track an animal. It's my job. It's what I do. I'm very good at it. I really enjoy doing it. Um, so when there's a, uh, an inconsistency or possible inconsistency or some kind of problem or some kind of clarification needed, you're going to find it and I'm, you're going to draw attention to it in order to clarify I'm and fix. going to find it. I am. I'm going to spot something, I'm going to spot something that I have a problem with, and people sense that I'm going to have that moment is absolutely correct. You are reading me correct when you say this. However, I know when to 
shut up. Just to put it out there. Like, I know when a problem is a big problem and when a problem is a little problem. I do I do I think the way we are uh prosecuting the 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 fight for self-identity uh in terms of gender is perfect? Of course not. Do I have have I enumerated problems to myself? Of course. It's the kind of person that I am. Are they important problems? No. No, they are not. They they are not important problems to me compared to the goal of having a little bit more control over oneself and how one defines oneself compared to society. So, you know what I do when those things occur to me? I shut up! Is that a message to any of us in the room or maybe to someone across the pond? It's um it's a message to everyone. You, it's it's literally a message to everyone. It, it, nobody is nobody is 100% perfect here. Nobody is 100% on the side of right, including myself. Uh I am I have made numerous mistakes on this score over the years and I will continue to make mistakes but I will also I promise you continue to improve. So with that out of the way this booting Richard Dawkins from his humanist of the year award in 1996 what is the effect of that? What does that actually do? Like that that's my my biggest concern about this because the American Humanist Association doesn't or any any national atheist or humanist organization uh doesn't have exactly the best track record of uh dealing with issues of gender or dealing with issues of race uh maybe maybe because it's not in their wheelhouse but I've heard over the years I've heard criticisms about any organization that has more than 5 people in it that you care to name including the one I'm in right now but what does booting him from an award 20 years ago actually accomplish for helping anybody out? That's the question I had. I think, Becky, you had an answer to that. I've seen right now this year that there are transitions that the American Humanist Association is undergoing. Roy Speckhart, who has been at the helm for uh, more than a decade, is departing and he's working on a succession um, plan and hoping to, you know, to leave in the hands of the board of trustees of AHA the honor of naming a new director. And his outgoing letter was saying, I hope that the person who comes to replace me is someone from a marginalized group, maybe a person of color, a person from the LGBTQ community, someone who holds multiple minority identities. So given that, and given that Richard Dawkins' most recent over the past few years, uh, um, you know, volatile and and, and uh, incendiary tweets have kind of plopped into the general uh, Twitter sphere, yeah. these issues concerning race, sensitive issues concerning gender, sensitive issues concerning um, disability and ability, um, the AHA, instead of just saying, yes, we have named people humanists of the year in our past who have presented complexities and who maybe would not be representative of today's humanist values. They could have said that very easily. They could say that about Margaret Sanger. They could say that about Richard Dawkins, right? Um, they could say that about their past presidents, right? Right. But instead of just saying that and leaving it at that, they are by by revoking, by symbolically revoking an intangible award, they are specifically saying this is someone who is still of 
marginal relevance in today's world who doesn't represent today's humanism for us. That's where. So why are you award? Why are you revoking him an award from 20 plus years ago? Like it, the reason I'm asking this question isn't that I think Dawkins deserves the award. Why? Why revoke awards from the past? Like just don't grant people with these views awards now in the in the present right because this feels like an attempt to wash myself of somebody else's sin this feels like like i don't think this helps the the the, the, this helps the american and american humanist association understand the complexities or the niceties about how it can reach out to the the transgender community or anything else it just feels like not us one, two, three, not it. Should you, when, do you uh, think it would be better to say, hey, we awarded this guy an award. He doesn't represent our humanist values of today. I, I don't think that's enough either. Mm. Um, I would have I, for one, would have liked to have seen something that says, yeah, we awarded this guy uh, in a time when we were dumber. We're smarter now. And here is what we are going to do to be better in the future. Here is the actionable stuff that we're going to do. Here are the resources we're going to spend. This starts not tomorrow, not a week from now, not a month from now, but right now. I love that because inherent in that is this is a time from when we were dumber. That's saying that, yeah, he it's not just we're distancing ourselves from him ickiness and from his ickiness. It's we also held that ickiness at a time. Um, possibly. Right. I don't think if Richard Dawkins had said something like that in 1996 that the AHA would have particularly cared. And so it's weird to me that, that they're revoking the thing now. I get what they're going for. It's, it's something that feels concrete that lets, we, let, lets the AHA say that we do not stand with Richard Dawkins on this one. But, what, but me, who like, is looking to solve problems with my stupid brain that just finds problems, uh, like, well, how does this actually help the transgender community? I don't think it does. Like, I don't, it, do, it, it doesn't say we stand with you, transgendered community. It says we want to be away from the problem person. I, I disagree slightly. Revoking the award is justified okay uh because it's about it's humanist values if their whole goal is only to sit there and take the award away and do nothing else then bad on them okay that's not where they need to stop it's good that they took the award away i'm fine with that but yes you're correct also they need to do more to actually include the trans community that's kind of my, my my point here is i don't care about the award take it away from him shoot it into the moon give it to somebody else the award is not meaningful to me um it just seems like it, it's something not to say that we stand with a community but to say we don't stand with richard dawkins and by saying that we don't stand yes, with right. richard dawkins that means we that automatically means we stand with the trans community correct right no it's uh, not enough that's not that's not what it's communicating to me And the statement itself is just very pithy three paragraphs, and it doesn't say we do stand with these people who have been marginalized and hurt by Dawkins' statements. The other thing that is affecting the AHA right now is part of that internal transition, right, between different uh, styles of leadership and individuals who lead. And there's some tension with advisory boards of different communities, so LGBTQ advisors, Latinx uh, humanists, um, that uh, resigned from 
advisory capacities because they felt that they weren't being heard by AHA leadership in steering the direction of how the next leader of the organization, the next director of the organization is chosen. So in light of those tensions and in light of saying we're just rejecting this award, we're we're revoking this award because, ew, icky, how are you going to be moving forward to be fully inclusive and not just saying, well, we invited everybody, but is everybody who's invited actually welcome, valued, um, do they have a voice to actually change directions of programming um, and orientations of the ways in which AHA resources are utilized? Um, and I think that we had got to be in a little bit of a wait and see or a hope, a wait and hope, because I do hold those hopes as well for the American Humanist Association. And meanwhile, <laughs> just the fretting about and calling the AHA atrocious and part of cancel culture and falling victim to dogma I think is is missing beyond like what the what the goal should be, because if you say, well, it's stupid for them to just take away the award because it doesn't fully embrace marginalized peoples. That's one thing. But if you say it's stupid for them to take away the award because it's just showing that AHA is grasping at meaningfulness um, and while stifling free discourse and free and open um, you know, inquiry. Uh, that leaves me wanting as well. Right. I I just find the, the whole AHA interface with this to be um a little disingenuous, a little bit uh, a, a little bit Monday morning quarterback and a lot more self centered that it's presenting itself as. Mm. Is, is is honestly are the three are the three arguments that I have against this. It it does not feel to me that it's communicating that it stands with the trans community. If that's what they're hoping to, if, if that's their objective, then I think they missed it by a mile. Um, at, all it's managed to do is seem to is to get all of the big name atheists to circle wagons and say, "Oh no, one of our own is hurt," because yeah, that's what's happening in in on Twitter right now. Is is everybody um, from Peter Bogosian to Daniel Daniel Dennett is saying, "Oh well, you know, he should be allowed to say that." Okay. Well, he is allowed to say it. Yeah. All yeah, right. Nobody's stopping him from saying it. They say he shouldn't say it, but he's still able to say it, and he said it. Yeah. So I again, it's it's fine. I, I'm completely fine with them taking the award away. It shouldn't be where they stop. But this isn't the first time, also, that they've taken an award away. Oh. Also, in 2018, they took the award away from Lawrence Krauss. Yeah. Oh, I had forgotten about that one. That's that's so right. This is not the first action. The time they've taken this action. Right. I think the difference there is that. Richard Dawkins and Lawrence Krauss are still uh, are still working public individuals that continue to make lots of statements and have some sort of purchase with the public. Mm-hmm. Whereas folks from the past who maybe are deceased at this point and don't continue to contribute to public rhetoric. It doesn't matter quite as much if they're dead. Right. Is what you're saying. Yeah. Without trying to say it, sound that cold. Right. I have no problem being that cold. So it's not a problem if they're dead. It's one of those things where people were expect, you know, I think some people were expecting me to stand up and say, well, what the AHA did was wrong. Um, I just think it's not enough. I, I don't it, it seems completely orthogonal to the purpose of of what people seem to expect it to achieve or what the AHA purports it to achieve. And I find that incredibly uh, confusing. Uh, and a little disappointing from people who I thought at this point might know a little better. 
now we get to what what Dawkins actually said. Um, I'm not going to repeat it because it's ridiculous and asinine. And, well, to go back to how I opened this argument, um, I am a person who spots flaws. It's in my nature. Not only as as I, I, I... I'm a I'm a depressive per- person. That research has been done. We spot flaws. I've made my career in spotting and repairing flaws. I've got it both barrels. Is there are there flaws in the way that we approach uh, social change and social betterment? Could we be doing a better job? Is there a way we could be more inclusive? Is there a way we could be a little bit nicer to people? Do we sometimes shit on people too hard? Yeah. Do I care? You know what? No, I don't think that's a big problem compared to to the other problems that we're facing right now. And if that makes me look performative, if that classes me, if you that if you think that makes me look woke, that's really more a you problem than it is a me problem. I don't really care. So let me get it straight. Whatever problems you have with the way that we're prosecuting any kind of movement towards greater freedom and individual um, rights and, and freedom from discrimination and uncovering our past biases, any problems you have with the way in which that's being done right now are far outweighed by the actual discrimination and the othering of people. And, and so the fight that is happening right now is a good fight, even if there's little flaws in it. We're humans. I don't believe I literally do not believe in perfection as a humanist. It's part of my humanist philosophy that I don't believe in perfection. There are always going to be flaws. There is always a way to be better. We should be searching for those ways to be better. But does that mean we derail the entire conversation and have it entirely be this guy who's a professor in something completely different than what we're talking about? Tell us about how we're all wrong about everything all the time. And if he makes a mistake, well, he's a professor and he has that right but i don't no this is crap this entire edifice this whole social structure is crap and i've been living under this whole social structure my whole life and i want to see it dead i want to see it destroyed i want to see richard dawkins pulled down from his ivory tower and shown what life actually is because it's really clear that he doesn't see it It's obviously clear that he doesn't see it. I've been living in the shadow of academia for my entire life now, Uh, for my entire adult life. My first marriage was to somebody in grad school. She got her PhD. She was in a postdoc. She was at ASU. I worked a little bit in her lab. I helped her with her paper. All of our friends were in the university. I'm I'm partially financially responsible for a number of degrees including some of uh, including some degree holders in this room correct correct i hold zero degrees i am a high school dropout i have been outside of this the whole time i have been on the outside looking in and i have dealt with this i don't know how to describe it becky you're gonna have to walk me through this or uh like you, you were recently in school, but you were at uh, a school that mostly uh, met by remote, correct? Yeah, I know. I was doing it before it was cool, before COVID make it cool. Make it cool. <laughs> but you, also- I, I, I straddle those lines along academia and support it. I train up kids to send them to academia. My point is, both of you kind of walk in more rarefied spaces than I do. 
And for the rest of this, I'm going to take this away from... Uh, I'm going to step away from the argument about trans people because I am not qualified to have this discussion. Somebody else should be having this discussion. I stand with them. I will help, you know, I'll help make that discussion happen in any way that I can find possible. But I have a specific, this is emblematic of a specific problem with the academic community that I've been having for years and I do not know how to discuss, which is this idea that professors or esteemed professors what, what whatever the difference is of esteemed between a regular professor and esteemed professor or somebody whose whose titles go on for entirely too long um you have half half an alphabet appearing after your name right uh where at parties at social functions it is expected that a professor is going to make some sort of argument well outside of their area of expertise, well outside of their wheelhouse. And us, as, uh, uh, as the proles, are supposed to accept it as some sort of, like, gedanken experiment that will somehow open our minds to some greater understanding. Like, this is a social thing that I've seen in academic circles that I don't really quite understand. I think, And it was very clear that Richard Dawkins, in his tweet, was leaning upon this social understanding in order to say this thing. I think you're dead on, especially even the way that he poses, here are two sentences, discuss. Yeah. As in, I'm going to drop a prompt on you. That's a very professorial thing to do in a class, um, and one might argue, hey, this is a way to make the world and all of your readers a philosophy class. He's not a philosophy professor. He's, he's an evolutionary biologist, and he's making social commentary to say, here's my assertion, discuss, agree, disagree, presuming that there's going to be agreement and that uh, if you're going to fight the professor, you've got an uphill battle. Ask right. me how I know how uphill the battle can be when you try and fight the professor or find that the professor's pet thesis is wonky. That was a fun foray into grad that school. Might be, yeah, that might be. Uh, that's a conversation we might have some other time is how I nearly destroyed your postgraduate career. I didn't know that I was criticizing her pet theory yeah we'll talk about that class that i had to do anyway is this something that you've encountered see we're working in areas i don't understand very well well as far as my military experience then uh yeah no we would definitely have like the dawkins type whereas like whatever they say is absolutely true right but must pay attention to them but their authority is derived by the fact that you exist under a single a single authority right yeah there is a font there is a font of morality in that world or whatever. i signed on the dotted line saying yes i will listen to anybody that's dumber than me but has a rank higher than me right <sighs> i didn't <laughs> yeah you signed no such dotted line under dawkins <laughs> but here's the thing i it's it's a it's a a social dance i do not understand but it's a social dance that i've experienced more times than i care to admit and it happens for two reasons. One, the most common reason, is the professor wants to get laid and wants to say something that entices the ladies. And then it backfires and they go, well, I'm just putting a thought experiment out there. And the other time, like this one, is uh, the professor wants to offer some... Uh, kitchen knowledge, some uh, common sense concept as something out of their wheelhouse, as something 
you know what? I'm dancing around it uh, because it's not racism this time. But in my own experience, it's either the professor wants to get laid or the professor wants to be racist. Those are the two times that I've experienced that in I, my life. I would argue that uh, this most recent Dawkins tweet is both about anti-trans sentiment and racism. Right. Um, and so I think that it could be said that in this case, yeah, Professor just wants to say something that he knows people are going to perceive as racist and criticize as racist, but then back away and say, but I'm just putting a thought out there. Right. It also speaks, I think, to his to, to, to his conceptualization of the power dynamic that he believes the people who uh, are going to fight him on Twitter or who are going to to argue with him on uh, about this somehow represent some major authority that has a control over the way the dialogue is happening when even a cursory examination of international discourse suggests that that is in no way true. Like he's speaking, he's, he's challenging people who support trans people as an authority when they have no such authority. He's saying he's speaking truth to power when he's really crapping on people with no power because he can't get his head out of his well-educated ass long enough to figure out what the hell is going on out here. I think that that really hits the nail on the head. And when his defenders will say something like, this is the worst thing that could happen to Dawkins. He's being vilified as a burned heretic at the stake. You know what? Someone criticizing Richard Dawkins on on Twitter or an organization with, let's face it, very little power and influence is revoking a 25 year old um, award with very little uh, uh, consequence other than, you know, symbolism. Is that is that the, 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 the worst thing that could happen to you? Is that literally being burned at the stake? How does that compare with a kid being shot for their race? How does that compare with a uh, trans person being beat up in a bathroom? I mean, that's the, the, the comparison there is so out of scale. By the, by the minute, I can't even get my head around by it. the minute. By the time you were even getting to the to what Mike calls the oppression Olympics, that my oppression is this and your Fair. oppression is that, which is you are just responding to it. They're the ones going to oppression Olympics. You've lost. As far as I'm concerned, a moral argument you have has has already uh, it has already left you. You know, I don't want to completely. No, that's not true. I definitely want to completely crap on Richard Dawkins because I'm tired of hearing how great he is all the time when I'm always kind of about the guy. You have been lukewarm about him. Um, It's amazing that people who know me think that I'm some huge uh, Richard Dawkins fan just because I've never said anything critical about Dawkins. You're an atheist, so therefore we must worship our prophet. The number of assumptions that people have about me, uh, about how I feel about certain people uh, in the atheism community astounds me because I've never said anything to give them. I don't really feel like I've, I've said anything to give that, in, that impression. The only thing I've done is not say things. And so when you're starting to ascribe things that I don't say to me, no, that's again, that's not a me problem. Our messy, messy brains fill in the stories for the details that we're missing. And we fill them in with our own made up details. And that is something that I have learned mm, hard way many times. Here's the thing that you just said that just rings it on the bell that has me absolutely terrified right now. He is a prophet. You know, I used to say years ago. 
that we have no Archbishop of Atheism. There's no authority that you can challenge that will somehow tear out, tear down atheism because they are an authority. In order to tear down atheism, you must go to the precepts of atheism. You must explain to me why the arguments that I have are false before you can actually make a uh, make an argument that has any meaning to me. You can go after any person about atheism, and it doesn't harm atheism. You can go after any person about humanism and say that they're bad. That doesn't harm the humanistic concept. Well, apparently I'm in the minority there. Because... Uh, oh, you think that tearing down Richard Dawkins makes atheism false? Uh, I'm, I, I'm apparently I'm in the minority of people who believe that. That somehow Richard, that harming Richard Dawkins harms our community. Huh. And I would say Richard Dawkins harmed himself by being asinine. By continually saying asinine things on Twitter and calling him out for that is is how we defend ourselves. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a self-inflicted wound on his part. Just uh, just last week, there was two transgender women murdered. Right. And like, this is a continuous thing that happens. That it, I don't understand why he thinks that he needs to actually fight for this precept that he has about gender identity that doesn't purport to reality anymore. He's recasting a, in, uh, a endangered part of our community as some sort of internet power and then challenging that community as if they were a powerful group that he must so that he can speak truth to power so that he can maintain keep his mantle of of a truth speaker so he can keep giving those gigs so he can keep getting those gigs what the, what the the heck yeah he gets like i mean he he gets all he still goes around and talks at all these different events yeah he's not being silenced taking an award away is one thing that was done as, as a strike here's the other thing i didn't mention before pulling that award from him gives him a lot a bigger cachet than leaving it now we can go around browbeating about he's the wrong party and people will give him a lot more airtime to talk about it than if they didn't i'm pretty sure at this point sometimes shapiro will actually be on his side. Oh yeah, that's coming. Him. That's going to be that's going to be an amazing conversation. That is going to be a dumpster fire in a nuclear reactor that's melting down. I'm that sure, is going to be I'm sure Dave Rubin already has his invite. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh and part of the reason why I wanted to pull back a little bit from the specifics of this argument into the more general aspects of this argument in as much as uh academia versus real life is concerned is because it, it keeps academia and, and academia concepts keep impressing upon my life in weird ways. Like, for example, I am a free software advocate. I am not an open source advocate. I am a free software advocate. I believe in free software, which gives you the impression that I support the free software foundation. I do not. And I never have. Uh, not since 2001, I guess I'll say. In the brief period of my teenage years between hearing of the SFF and meeting Richard Stallman for the first time. Oh, different right, Richard? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I supported the FSF. But then I met Richard Stallman and had second thoughts. <laughs> where this is a th the same arguments, like, the big man says something stupid, and it is the big man here, so I'm using the phrase big man. Big man says something asinine and stupid. Big man is punished by the organization he represents because they don't want to be represented by his words. Thousands of people crowd to them going, big man important, big man smart, 
big man say things. Support big man. And it drives me nuts. Because half the time, the big man everybody's hoisting up by their shoulders is somebody I didn't care for very much at all. And in the case of, um, I don't want to get into this story, it is all over the internet if you want to get into it. We don't have prepared notes for it. But Richard Stallman said stuff, did the usual libertarian-esque, is pedophilia really a crime, hand-waving thing, when dis- when uh, discussing allegations that Marvin Minsky, a uh, AI advocate and friend of RMS, because they both worked at the MIT AI lab, right. um... Jeffrey Epstein was involved and like, I don't know. I don't know the details. And frankly, I didn't give a crap about the details because Minsky's dead. Epstein killed himself. Supposedly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, here we did. We, we have another professor, somebody who is in the academic, who's in the academic world thinking that they can, that they can say anything with no consequence and get away from it because I'm bringing up discussion points. And that's crap. That, that, that's weird. And so the FSF booted him. That's a several good months ago. They got a lot of pushback. And then at, uh, the big FSF Fandango, the free software Fandango they had, uh, this year before, and they did it at, they knew it was coming, but they announced it in a big way at the event so that nobody could pull out and nobody could raise, could say, I don't want to stand with the SFF. If this is what they stand for, they brought him back. Yeah, I saw that. Thanks. And th- they brought him back and they're like, well, he has the best knowledge and he, and we, the, basically, if you read the press release, it says, we basically says, we don't know what to do without Richard Stallman. And I read that and I'm like, wow, FSF just went full Scientology. They're basically saying RMS is LRH. <laughs> and, uh, that's Richard M. Stallman is L. Ron Hubbard for those of you playing back. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying they're Scientology. That's what I'm saying. And that bothered the crap out of me. Yeah. Is he a foundational figure in free software movement? Yeah. But he also says a lot of creepy stuff and won't stop saying creepy stuff. So what you're saying is that... So maybe he shouldn't be the guy in charge anymore. Maybe we should honor him for the work that he did. Maybe we should like give him some, like I don't know, Lifetime Achievement Award from the ACM or something like that. Give him a hat, put him on an island, and never listen to him again. Let him eat all the foot fungus he wants. <clears throat> There's also another thing that I wanted to talk about that I just can't get into. <sighs> I'll, I'll touch on it briefly. I'll touch on it briefly. One of the Linux kernel uh, administrators, the people who run uh, the development of Linux kernels, had to revoke the entire uh, kernel source code access of um, of an entire university, a university in Minnesota, because they were submitting patches in bad faith and publishing papers about how they would submit patches in bad faith. And so that did that cause a controversy of some sort? It did. Um, so uh, there was a paper, there was an ACM paper about how uh, they, they called them hypocrite commits, which is uh, they submitted a, uh, they submitted a patch with, an, with which they knew had a security flaw in it. It wasn't much of a security flaw, um, but it was a security flaw in, in a minor subsystem. And then um, they published a paper on it those changes are getting are getting revoked but 
and in the paper they said there was no direct result on the Linux kernel. One, that's not true. The changes actually made it to release, which does point out a problem in uh, in, in, in testing. In testing, and that needs to be addressed, and it is being addressed. But now they're submitting to, they're continuing to submit patches that make no sense. And they're getting pushback on it. Like, what are you doing? And it got to the point where, where they had to pull the entire university's access to the to, to make changes to the kernel. Um, anybody from that university, their their patches are automatically rejected to be reviewed later, um, because they're not issuing things in good faith. And this is intentional. They they're intentionally doing bad faith in, uh, mm-hmm. patching. What is their purpose? I don't know. My question is how the, how this got past the review board at the university. How did they get how did they get this get past ethics? Did it they take it to an ethics board or because uh your human subjects are volunteers it doesn't matter. Even though they didn't volunteer for your study, they volunteered to work on the Linux kernel. Like, That's not rife with uh, ethical complexity. But compared to Richard Stallman and what's happening with Richard Richard Dawkins so apparently, I need to be on the record for some, for a few things here, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna get on the record now because between Richard Stallman and Richard Dawkins and and this uh, this thing with the Linux kernel, I'm being asked a lot uh, personally and professionally to stand up for academia, to stand up and say you know that that academia has an important place in society and it should be defended, and people should be able to 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 do the things that Richard Dawkins and Richard Stallman are doing and that's uh and 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 I should stand up for that. I have never been a supporter of academia. I like science. I don't care for scientists. There are many ways to make science. There are many ways to advance human knowledge. Academia is not the only way. And I don't know if you've noticed, but while you weren't looking, school costs are skyrocketing. You have gone from a world where people could reasonably assume to get a a decent education and only slightly go into debt uh, to a world where it is soul-crushing permanent debt for getting an undergrad degree and you guys where the fuck were you this whole time i didn't hear word one from you assholes the whole time but now now that there's an industry and it's no longer an institution and it's an industry and now the students are showing up and they're expecting that that their dollar that they're going to be paying back their entire lives has to march for them every single cent has to do something for them now you're whining now you want me to stand up for academia no go to hell i do not stand up for you you didn't stand up for me you didn't stand up for your students and now you're wanting the right to be an asshole to everybody without consequence no you you made your bed we don't have to pay for it Simple as what you were hearing. I'm tired. I've been talking about atheism for 14 years now, uh, 10 of them on the air. And I'm seeing the community that I quite intentionally joined becoming a mockery of itself. And this is the atheism community. 
I am getting increasingly sick of the atheism community. Meanwhile, I'm working in community radio. I've helped more people and different people. So many other communities and so many more communities in the months that I have been doing community radio than in the years that I was doing atheist, atheist activism. And after this one, I'm looking for the door. <laughs> I think Sam just went full ASAB. <sighs> All scientists are bastards. The only people I trust are baseball players and musicians. What do you think, Zygon? I trust the universe. I can tap my inner powers of thought. Nah, no, 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 no. You see, I'm still an atheist. I'm still a humanist. I, I, I was raised without religion. I continue to be without religion. I don't have a God-shaped hole in my life. I still find religious communities reprehensible. I still, you know, I, I still... it. I hate dogma more than I hate religion. And I think that continues to be true. And it's led me into some very painful places over the years, and here's another painful one. I don't know, Zygon. Is it Zygon? Zarquan? Zargon. Zargon. Zygon. <laughs> Zygon. Same as uh, the Doctor Who alien. All right. What do you think, Zaftig? I use my mind power to create my ideal reality. I use alcohol. My name is Sam. Our voicemail number is 844-753-7842. Our email address is questions at atheist.radio. Thank you, Josh. You're welcome. Thank you, Becky. Thank you, Sam. I'm hoarse and out of practice. We'll see how this goes. We'll see if there's still a show after this. I might get screamed off the airwaves. That could happen. It would mean that people are listening, which would be a bit of a surprise after all this time. Oh, yeah, I'm getting brain surgery.